Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast presented by our great friends over at Scentlock. You guys know I'm a huge fan of Scentlock, have been for a long time. Why? Because it's proven deadly. Their carbon technology will keep you covered in the field longer and keep you uh, with more successful days in the field. Go check out our friends over at Scentlock because they've got everything you need from early season to late season. Now, I've got a special guest um, with me on the podcast. If you've been following along, you've heard me talk about them. I'm fired up to work with these guys. I, I believe in what they're doing, not only as a service, but as a keep me out of jail um, service. So um, welcome to the show, Chris Chain. Chris, how are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, I'm absolutely wonderful. It's that time of year. Um, you know, deer hunting's really hard right now. Um, but starting in about a week and a half, you're, we're really going to have them firing up for pre-rut, um, which we were talking earlier. Um, and, and really the rut in Kansas is a really hard time to hunt. Um, you'll see a lot of action. You'll see a lot of deer. You'll see them chasing. You'll see them running like crazy. You'll see tons of different bucks. Um, but really, it's, it's hard to hunt because there's no way to nail down where those bucks are going to be and when uh, because they're just going to be running crazy looking for does. Um, you know, I've had deer at, at, at 50 yards, 60 yards and, and I'm grunting at them and they don't care or I'm, uh, or, or that I have a bedded doe with a buck decoy and they don't even care because there's other does right over here. And so they're just running crazy and they're so hard to pin down, but really that preseason rut, um, starting, I always say starting, um, Halloween through about the fifth or sixth, seventh, um, of November is a phenomenal time to hunt because they're starting to get fired up and bucks are starting to start cruising. And so really hitting the grunts will bring those deer right in. So, so starting in about a week and a half, it's going to really start firing up for me here in Kansas. Um, now I, I got off track, man. We got, we got talking quick. Um, Chris, you are the, the, the man, the myth, the legend behind season report, seasonreport.com. Um, now for those of you who don't know, if you haven't listened to the show, season report is a phenomenal platform that was built, um, in order to house all of the different, uh, state regulations in one place, season dates, bag limits, um, laws and, and regulations all in one place, one easy to use platform. Um, now Chris, what was kind of your, what was your vision for this? Well, I, I don't know if I really had a vision. Uh, more than I was just trying to solve a problem that I had. Uh, anybody who goes to multiple locations to hunt, you always end up making your own personal cheat sheet about what's in season when, 
And if you're you're traveling multiple locations and trying to coordinate all your different methods of take and species and everything to keep track of, it gets pretty pretty chaotic. And then you inevitably lose the the cheat sheet and all that. And so I was actually working on a coding project completely unrelated to this. And I realized as I was setting up to make my personal cheat sheet last year that the code would lend itself well, uh, or at least parts of it would. And I got to work creating my own uh, much more easy to interpret cheat sheet that I could keep on my phone and not be on a piece of paper. And then that worked out well. And then I decided to make one for a friend that went to a few different counties. He liked it, uh, made it for some other friends in other counties. And then I just decided to fill out Virginia. And everybody I showed it to was was kind of blown away. They were surprised that nobody had had created a, an interface like this where you just put in your county and it brings the whole regulatory book into one page. And then from there, I just built it for Tennessee and Louisiana for some friends and family. And then it's kind of the silver lining of, of you know everything that's happened this last year with everything difficult to go travel to and, and do anything normal. I kind of had a perfect opportunity to just hunker down and build out the country. And that's where we are today. We, I'm starting to get more and more people using it. And it's it's really validating to hear people that I, I don't know reach out and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that something like this doesn't exist already. And, and uh, getting a lot of good feedback and a lot of users. It's It's been a really fun launch so far. Now, if you haven't checked it out yet, guys, go to seasonreport.com and it's 10 bucks for a stinking year. You can put in Bear 101. No, I'm sorry. It's Hunting 101. You can put in Hunting 101 and get this entire platform from t- for $10 a year. And that $10 a year, that's the best 10 bucks I've ever spent. Um, yeah, I've spent 10 bucks on a whole lot of dumb stuff. Uh, and, and that's the best 10 bucks I've ever spent. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I know all of the rules and regulations. I don't need something like that. Um, I have a good friend of mine hunted in the same county for turkeys his entire life, grew up chasing turkeys in that county. Um, and he thought he knew all the regulations. And so he goes out and he turkey hunts, sends me a picture of two dead turkeys. And he says, dude, I got an opening morning double. And I'm like, congratulations. I didn't even know. I'm like, congratulations, man. Uh, you know, good job, good work, whatever. Um, tag me in and I'll share it. You know, I'm going through all these whatever. And, um, I get a phone call later and he's like, dude, I can't post that. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, um, this county, I've been alive for 27 years and hunted this, this county for turkeys for, you know, 23 of those years. And this county for the first time ever moved to a one turkey county. And uh, I called so-and-so and told them and they informed me of that. And I was like, oh, snap. And uh, he said, you know, don't worry about it. I've already called the game warden and told him what had happened. And, you know, he he explained, hey, this is the first year uh, in, you know, however many years this has been a one turkey county. We understand. It's okay. Um, just don't do it again. Now, had he had a platform so quickly accessible to where he opens it and his county's already saved, his species is already saved, uh, you know, you don't have to log in and go through a cumbersome website of, of, yeah, I mean, some of these websites are treacherous. Um, and, and you don't have to go through a, a website of trying to find your state, your zone, your species, and then find the regulations. It's already saved right there for you by county and by species. You could have opened that up and seen, oh, it's a one turkey state this year or a one turkey county this year. Um, 
So guys, $10 could literally save you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on making a, oh, well, I thought I knew the rules, mistake. So guys, at least check out Season Report um, because I myself, you know, I hunt in in uh, Kansas and Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, Texas, um, and the, the rules and laws are different for each state. And then you get to Texas and the rules are just completely crazy. Um, you can do whatever you want there. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, it, guys, it gets lost in the jumble sometimes. And sometimes you, you head back to hunt somewhere you've always hunted and you just forget. But with an easy-to-use platform like this, um, I, I really I refer to it as my hunting wallet. Um, and and right. I pull it out and I check my wallet and I see and I make sure, okay, I've got that. I'm good to go. I've got that. I'm good to go. Let's go hunt. So, guys, yeah. go check out Season Report. I'm kind of thinking about it like a uh, hunting personal assistant, but I like the wallet too. It's just uh, I'm starting to use it personally a lot this year where I, I have a trip out to the, the mountains that border Virginia and West Virginia this weekend. And just checking my website, trying to see what's in season. And I just like that everything is presented there. And it helps me plan the trip, load up gear, because there's opportunities you don't you don't have in the forefront of your mind. And um, I think personally, I'm, I'm getting a lot of use out of it. I, I'm, I'm solving the problem I, I'm setting out to. But as I hear more feedback, I'm starting to hear from people and be like, oh, actually, that's a good idea. And so like one of the things that I just recently... Uh, updated on my website was I brought together all your different locations that you save, but then just put all that into your profile front and center. And so at the end of the day, my goal is just to get you off your phone, honestly, and bring the information to you quickly and easily without having you to Google and and search for all that stuff. And so now I kind of have a personalized year dashboard where I can more easily plan what weekends I need to take off work and stuff like that. Now, I want to mention one more aspect to this um, before we move on. You know, there's been times where um, you're hunting a, a particular place and something comes out, a, a bobcat or a coyote or a hog or a javelina. I mean, I could keep going on and on. And you think to yourself, I don't know if I can shoot it or not. You know, I don't know if I don't know if I'm allowed to or not. And Lord knows you're not going to get all the way through a state agency website before it goes away um, or before it, it moseys on. No, not at um, all. And so the, the, the benefit of season report in that situation is, you, again, you've already got your county saved. All you've got to do is flick it open, click on the county and boom, there it is. Can you shoot it or not? Um, so, guys, really just a lot of very useful tools uh, before we move on. I do have to give a quick thank you to our friends over at WiseEye Technology. WiseEye makes the very best trail cameras, uh, cellular trail cameras on planet Earth. Um, and I say that because they're the only company that, that, in my opinion, really does game recognition technology and does it well. I don't have to look through a thousand pictures of does and coons. I get just the pictures of the bucks I want to see. And then it'll break up those bucks by antler recognition into different folders. So if I want to look at at the folder of the deer I named, you know, Big Ten, and when he's coming in, I can look at just his pictures when he's coming in. It'll also give you weather graphing, so it'll show you, you know, based off of the barometer when he's coming in, based off of temperature when he's coming in. Guys, go check out WiseEye Technology because they are absolutely phenomenal, and they're great guys, good friends of mine, so go check them out. 
Chris, speaking of opportunities that you didn't know about, um, you were on a deer hunt just a lot last week and, uh, and what rolled in? Well, I, it's kind of a perfect use case of, of season report because I opened it up just to check, double check. Okay. It is opening day. I'd, I'd hate to get that off by a day or two. And so I was looking for deer and then right under it was black bear. And so I, in the moment, I probably wouldn't have, uh, known a hundred percent whether it was in season or not, but because it was right there listed, it was in forefront of my mind. And, um, yeah, I was at the stand. I wasn't thinking black bear at all. I was just first night out opening, opening weekend of uh bow season. And I was waiting for a deer to come by and I see a big black bear, uh, hundred yards off. And what was weird is it was actually like right down my scent line. And I thought, I thought that was kind of odd. And I just got to watch him. I assumed he was going to to smell me and run off, but um, to my surprise, he kept kind of walking up my scent line. Because he keeps he, taking them maple them them maple syrup showers. They love. That. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got to clean myself a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, but um, he comes out into an opening at about thirty forty yards, and it's just it's awesome, and I get to watch him. And I had no intentions of of taking him actually, because I was so I'm going out into the mountains this coming weekend and. I always carry a bear tag just in case, but my mind has always been set on this particular monster that I've seen for three or four years now out in the mountains. And so I wasn't trying to take this guy, but he just was there. He wouldn't leave. And then he got a little closer and he got to about 30 yards and I started making some noise and he looked right up at me and it kind of reminded me of that scene in Jaws where, where he describes doll eyes and all that. And 30 yards is a little far, but um, he was not deterred at all. And he started moseying a little closer and I start shouting a little bit more, take my, my head cover off. So he knows um, I'm a person and every new movement just kind of, kind of paused him for a second, but he just kept, he wasn't aggressively coming towards me necessarily, but he was only headed in my direction and all things considered the fact that he came right up my scent line and he came right up to 10 yards and there are, children and dogs in this area that that go in these woods i just decided in that moment to take the shot all the all the boxes seemed checked but uh i gotta say this isn't product placement but i was happy that that my uh my bear archery bow performed as it did because i would not have wanted to fend him off with spray in the top of the tree speaking of the bear archery bows um you sent me a text message after launch um, which if you haven't checked out our launch episode, it was just a few episodes back. Head over and listen to our entire rundown of the of the new lineup. Also, if you haven't gotten entered to win the giveaway, we're giving away an Axis deer hunt in Texas summer of 2022 with me. We're also going to throw in a brand new refine for you to take with you decked out in the best Trophy Ridge accessories you could think of. And some gift cards to Scentlock with some ozone products from Scentlock. So, guys, if you haven't gotten entered to win that giveaway, head over to Bear Archery's page and do that uh, as part of launch week giveaway. But you texted me and you said, holy crap, dude, do they always do launch this big? And I'm like, well, yeah, pretty much. Um, and that's what I love about Bear Archery is when they do a launch, they do it big. It's not renaming a bow that was that was there two years ago with just an inch different, you know, axle to axle. It's seven new bows 
coming out to to the consumer and that's what that's what i love about bear archery is when i look at their new catalogs i can find a bow for my kids my wife myself i can find myself a new compound a new recurve a new crossbow it's an awesome drop man and they do it every year and they do it big so uh you know again kudos to bear archery on a phenomenal new lineup and if you haven't seen it guys go check it out because it's a great lineup and the refine is going to be a flat out shooter so yeah, really good launch week this week. That was uh, awesome. So, in your mind, you were thinking this bear is coming to eat my face off. You know it. It was. It went from a really special encounter. You know, I, I've seen dozens of bears in the woods and let let all of them walk, and this one was kind of along that way. And then when he kept walking toward me as I was scaring him off, I've just I've never seen a bear act like that, and I don't. Whether it was predation or unhealthy curiosity, it's hard to say. Uh, but you know, it, I took the shot, and I've been, I've, I've been really thrilled using all of his resources in different ways. I've never eaten black bear before, so I put a lot of his meat aside, and for the first time, made some sausage, some andouille sausage. You know, I, I'm from Louisiana, so there was a, a lot of throwback to, to making some sausage for some gumbo coming up, and. Um, you know, I've been having tons of friends and family interested in, in what went down, but then really a lot of people are just interested in trying some some bear meat. Not a lot of people have the opportunity to eat it. I absolutely love bear meat. I love bear meat. And uh, speaking of Louisiana, if you're an LSU fan, just hang up the phone now. <laughs> um, you are, aren't you? I can tell by the snicker. No, I'm not. I went to Louisiana Tech, so I'm on your side of that. that. Oh. Fantastic. Much. I had a cousin that played uh he was an offensive lineman for Louisiana Tech. Um super proud of him. Um but as a Razorback fan, I have to just shun anybody who even likes LSU the slightest bit. Um but speaking of being from Louisiana, I had a friend of mine one year. I killed a bunch of wild hogs and uh and he said feral hogs I should say. Uh, if I say wild hogs, you're thinking of the motorcycle movie. But um killed a bunch of feral hogs one year and he's like, "Dude, I'm going to make you some boudin with that. And I'm like, what do you mean? Do I want you to any more stupid questions? And that was one of the best things I've ever eaten. I absolutely, Oh, it was phenomenal. You know, my in-laws live down in Dritter, Louisiana, and they have hog problems just like everybody else. And we were down there visiting one day. and My father-in-law asks if I wanted to go check the hog traps. And I didn't realize it was going to be quite the scale he was talking about. And I'm like, sure. So we hop in the side by side. We go to this this ingenious trap setup that he's created. And he's got like a uh, a mobile cage to take the hogs for processing and everything. I was I was just thoroughly impressed with the whole situation. But we get down there and there was this, it had to have been 400 pound hog. It was huge. And then, of course, me and my father-in-law, he's like, hey, why don't you walk to the far side, uh, you know, kind of close to the, the fence and just get his eyes on that so I can open up the the pen and get him into this uh, transporter. I that was maybe the most scary situation I've had in my life. Being that close to that thing, I mean, they are so powerful. He was he was hooking the fence with his uh, with his tusk and just pulling pulling it out of the ground, pulling the stakes out of the ground. Those things are super powerful. But I was able to to bring a lot of his his meat home, and I agree, wild boar is phenomenal. They are terrifying. And I love taking people hog hunting with me for the first time. I'm a big hog hunter. Um, I love hunting hogs. 
and I take people and they either love it or they hate it. Um, because they're like, man, I don't, I don't sit over feeders. Um, you know, I'm usually out spotting stocking hogs. Uh, I use that as a great way to refine still hunting skills and to refine, uh, spot and stocking skills. Um, and so that they either love it or they hate it. They're like, this is a whole lot of work for a dumb little animal. Um, or they find it how I do with the adrenaline rush, uh, because you get 20 yards from a, from even a 200 pound pig Uh and you shoot it and it starts squalling and hollering and running. And if it runs towards you, like it's just a huge adrenaline rush. Uh, I love hunting pigs. Now, since we've already started kind of talking food, I normally save this for the end of the episode. Uh, but I'm big on wild game and, uh, being the hunting one-on-one podcast, I have a cooking one-on-one portion where I just like to talk to people about their favorite wild game or a favorite wild game dish they've had. Mm. Um, and so we have some really good friends over at rebel six rubs. They make nine different rubs for all different kinds of wild game. Um, and just phenomenal rubs. I use it all the time on even just now burgers and, and meatloafs and grilled chicken, whatever. Um, so go check out rebel six rubs. You can use bear one one at checkout for a discount. Um, but they make cooking wild game easier. So what is your, one of your favorite wild games or one of your favorite wild game recipes? Well, um, I'll, I'll answer with two. Uh, I've never made sausage before. So making this, this bear and dewy sausage was a blast. I, I talked to my local, uh, butcher jam stock and, and had everything lined up before then. If you don't have everything lined up for, uh, making sausage, I highly recommend it before you go hunting, just so you don't have to do that rush, uh, in the middle of the moment. But that's been fun. But I think my absolute favorite is what has turned into our our kind of Christmas staple. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to to eat to kill everything I eat for the last four or five years now. And so about three years ago, a friend gave me a recipe for uh, venison Wellington. And my gosh, that is phenomenal. Have you ever had a Wellington? I It's been a while. It's been a yeah. while. So you got some backstrap. You sear it like you normally would, and then you have this uh, this blended up paste of shallots and mushrooms. You lay that on some prosciutto. You wrap the tenderloin in prosciutto, and then you wrap it in a puff pastry and egg yolk. Yeah, I mean, it takes three hours. It's not. It's definitely not a, a middle of the week meal. But for Christmas or Thanksgiving, I have yet to serve that to somebody that doesn't love it. <laughs> well, then, I guess. <laughs> Now that you've blown my little mind, um, no, that's what I love about wild game. And that's why I love asking that question because so many times we think about, well, yeah, steaks and well, we can put it in spaghetti or chili. Um, but anything you make with meat, you can make with wild game. And, and sometimes you'll be blown away like that boudin. Um, it was just so much better than any other boudin I've ever had. Oh, now yeah. I might, I might mention that the friend I'm talking about, was on the Food Network channel as a top 10 chef in America. So that might have had something to do with it. But sometimes the food turns out better. Like I love breakfast pizza. It's one of my favorite things. Now take some of your bear sausage and make a breakfast pizza out of it. And just the greasiness of that bear meat and it running into the the pizza. Oh my Lord, have mercy. I promise you, you'll never look at breakfast pizza the same. I will have to try that. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to, like I said, using it in a gumbo, something that's kind of already has a, has an oil base like a roux, uh, but I think that's going to pair perfectly with a lot of Cajun cooking. 
I also really like um, one thing I did a lot with my bear meat, slice it up into real thin fajita strips, um, throw it piping hot on a skillet with some onions and peppers, throw it on a tortilla with some cilantro, onion, and lime. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. It was phenomenal. We have a taco truck in town that serves the best tacos I've ever had in my life. And Until my, my wife would bear meat. What was that? Until you use bear meat for them. Uh, I, that is going to be a new attempt, but, uh, but my <laughs> wife would probably attest to how annoyed she is in my, my search for replicating the perfect taco. And I'm not there yet. I think I'm, I'm pretty close. There's a magic that they do with the, uh, the tortilla that I, I haven't quite mastered, but it's kind of like what you're saying, just meat, onions, cilantro, keep it simple and keep it perfect. Yes. I, uh, the same chef friend that I'm talking about, he's Hispanic and, uh, he come to my house one night and I said, dude, I'm making tacos. And, uh, he was like, Oh Lord, here we go. And, uh, and so I set out all the fixings and he's like looking at the fixings and he literally points to the cheese and he's like, no. And he points <laughs> to sour cream and he's like, no. And he points to, you know, whatever else. And he's like, dude, Mexicans throw their meat, some cilantro and some onion and some lime. And that's it. Like none of this other crap that you got. They ain't putting salsa on their tacos. They ain't putting cheese dip on their tacos. They ain't putting shredded cheese on their tacos. And I'm like, how do we get here uh, talking about Mexican food? But um, <laughs> anyways, that's just how the Lord led, I guess. Um, now, what's next for you this this coming fall? So this weekend I'm loading up. Uh, I got a good friend coming in from Louisiana, and we're going to go chase mountain bucks over on the West Virginia border. and I, this, is a, this turned into a yearly trip that I just love. It's it's four or five days of just no service, no nothing, and in one of the most beautiful parts of the country. And it the leaves should just be turning, so that's immediately next. And then um, hopefully at that point I have the, the freezer full and I have the opportunity to really focus in on hearing feedback of people using Season Report in the field and, and try to really make this as user-friendly for all types of hunters, novice or or seasoned. I'm really excited, man, because I, I've got to hear your heart on it and your vision on where you want to take it. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had the pleasure of being able to tell you a couple of things that, that I'd like to see. And, and, uh, and so I, I'm really excited about where it's headed. I want to give the listeners some advice here because we were talking prior to the show and so many times we hang a set and we put it up and we're like, well, this is where I'm at for the year. You know, this is where I'm hunting. And uh, no matter what happens, that's our tree stand. Um, be mobile when you're hunting. And I know I've had guests talk about this. I know I've had people talk about saddle hunting. I know I've had people talk about, you know, we had uh, Zach Farrenball on from, from Hunting Public, who's a big spot and stalker and climb down and chase some kind of guy. And um, But I want to talk about being mobile in your tree stand. Don't be afraid to pick it up and move it. Don't be afraid to, in the middle of a hunt, I know that sounds horrible, but don't be afraid in the middle of the hunt to say, you know what? I've seen 40 bucks cross over over there. I'm going to move my tree stand over there. Um, you know, for, for tonight, this evening, I'm actually headed out. You know, I'm going to leave a little bit early. I'm going to leave about 2 o'clock, and, and uh, I'm going to move a tree stand, and then I'm going to climb up in it and hunt for the night um, because that situation has arose. I've set twice now, and I've seen 30 deer crossing the field at the same spot. And uh, I really set this spot up thinking it would be a staging area and thinking that, that I would get shots at them before they entered the field, um, and, and which I, I do and I will. 
but I figured out really quickly that I'll get more shots on more deer if I move it. And so that's my plan for tonight. And don't be afraid to do that. I know in your mind, you're thinking like, well, if I go in there and make a bunch of noise and scent, I'm going to mess deer up. Well, A, do it as scent free and as quiet as you can. Uh, and then B, don't be afraid to make moves because you're either going to mess deer up or you're going to let them keep going over there where you're never going to get a shot at them. So don't be afraid to be fluid. Don't be afraid to be mobile and move that tree stand and get into the shooting position uh, that you need to be in. Completely agree. One of my, well, actually the largest buck I've ever got with my rifle was right after I moved my stand. I was, I was hunting this spot and this truck rolls through and all of a sudden they start making a lot of noise right next to me. And so I just decided to get up and move to another place that I had in the back of my mind. And I was just thinking, all right, well, this opening day shot, this was a few years ago. And sure enough, I get set up and not even five minutes after I'm there, the the biggest deer I'd seen in my life at that point walks out. And I, I completely agree. Now, what is, uh, if you were to say, you know, Dylan, over the last 10 years, I've really learned this tip or this trick, what would that be? I think just enjoy being out there and, and paying attention to everything because as you know, everything is interconnected. And once you start, you know, early on, you're focused on just getting something or just getting a buck. But then once you cross over those thresholds, you're sitting there thinking about other things. And personally, I just started paying attention to everything that was going on in the woods and how the squirrels are happening or what the raccoons are doing or anything you can really observe. And it feels maybe it's just my my bias but it feels like the more i pay attention to everything going on the more it feels like i kind of get a, a just a, a feeling for what's about to happen and it just if you know there's no psychic premonition here but it's just like once you start recognizing those patterns you're like i i've recognized this before and usually it preceded some deer movement and then sure enough it happens you know you just start adding to your your personal experience database yeah. Well, first off, I want to say this. I gave you a layup opportunity to say, be aware of your state regulations. <laughs> um, and I know a place to do that. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I've said it and I've heard friends say it. I feel like I'm about to see a buck. I feel like I'm about to shoot a deer. I feel like tonight's the night. Why? Because you've been observant to last time I shot a deer, it was cooling off like this. The leaves were, the wind was blowing in this direction and the the whatever um the moon was at this this phase or you just over the years you've you've come to realize man nine out of the last 10 deer i've shot this was happening and so that's why psych that's why like in your mind you're thinking oh man i'm about to shoot a deer because all of those things are starting to happen so absolutely a fantastic tip uh you know there's times where i can't explain it to my wife but i'm like i need to go out and hunt tonight and she's like <laughs> why like, why do you, don't say the word need, Dylan. And I'm like, no, like I, tonight's the killing night. Like I need to go out. And, uh, you know, in her mind, she's thinking like, yeah, right. Leave me with the kids chump. Um, but in all reality, it's the deer are going to be moving tonight. Like tonight's the night that if I want to shoot the big 10 tonight, then I need to go out and do it. And, uh, so absolutely you're correct. Now I want to give a tip. A smart man once told me, if you want to get good at shooting a recurve, hunt wild or hunt, uh, hunt small game with it. And I, you know, I thought, well, yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, of course, shoot smaller targets, become a better shot. 
but but in all reality, what he was talking about, you know, he is talking about shooting smaller targets and targets that move a lot and targets that are jumping around and targets that are, but also it's an instinctive uh, learning tool. You know, if you see a squirrel, you don't pull out a rangefinder and have time to check it. You just draw back and shoot. Um, I've developed a squirrel problem at my house. Horrible squirrel problem at my house. Um, you know, I'll go out at any time. There'll be nine to 10 squirrels in my yard. I mean, wow. just horrible squirrel problem. And so I told myself, I'm like, well, I'm going to start hunting squirrels in my recurve around the house. And, uh, and so I am blown away at how much better of a shot I've become. Um, and I, and I don't tell you this to, to sound braggadocious, but this morning, um, shot a squirrel at 24 yards, um, in a tree. Wow. And I, I, when I, after I did that, I literally stopped and just thought to myself, like, this works. Like the, the person wasn't wrong. And, and I shouldn't have thought that, you know, they, they've killed like, I don't know, 75 Pope and young animals with a recurve. But I just thought like they were right. Like this is really, and that was the first time I had shot one at a long distance. And, and I, I really thought to myself, I'm like, this works. So now, do you feel like you could do that with a compound bow as well because you have your pins set up at different yeah, numerical I do. distances? Yeah, I do. So if you want to get better at hunting, bow hunting, or shooting a twenty two, whatever, practice hunting small game. Uh, go out and hunt small game. Now, I can't – I try to hunt them. Um, like I try to make it a hunt. Like I could walk out on my back deck and shoot them. Um, but I try to scatter them before. That way it's actually kind of a hunt. That way I have to practice walking through the woods quiet. I have to practice, you know, staying in the shadow. I have to practice not letting them see me until I pop around the tree. I have to practice. I purposely try to make it that way. So, guys, go out and practice hunting small game because I promise you it'll make you very aware of how to move quietly, of how to move slowly, of how to make shots on animals, you know, that are – that it's a quick come as you go. Like it's, it's a, there's my opportunity. I got to shoot right now. It'll make you a whole lot better in that situation. So guys really go out and practice hunting small game. I know it's not like shooting a deer, um, but go out and practice shooting them and squirrels taste pretty stinking good. Oh yeah. And my dog loves them. (laughs) My dog loves them. I uh, call my dad and, and uh, I really try to, I'm not a, I'm a bird hunter, but not a big enough bird hunter to have a, a bird dog. And, you know, I just told my dad, I got, I got a bird dog. I got a beautiful Brittany Spaniel. And I told my dad, I'm like, you know, I don't want to make her a bird dog uh, because then she'll get to go once a year. Um, and that's just not fair to her. And so I, I trained her into being a blood dog. I wanted her to be a blood dog. And so I, I told my dad today, I'm like, dude, I've shot um, three squirrels this week and Congo has loved them. And, uh, and he's like, dude, you keep doing that. Uh, he's going to be a squirrel hunter, not a blood dog. <laughs> and so he's like, you keep doing that and you take him out to the woods and he's just going to be chasing squirrels. He ain't going to care if there's blood on the ground or not. Um, so maybe I need to quit doing that. <laughs> or maybe my dad's wrong. I don't know. Yeah. My dog would not be a hunting dog. She would just uh, orbit me constantly and make as much noise as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, my dog, um, I, right when I got him, I did a little bit of blood trailing uh, training with him, but now I'm I'm purposely trying to do a lot more of that just because there's been so many situations where, um, you know, it would have been super useful to have him. Um, and so I'm purposely doing a lot more of that. And, and I feel as though, um, you know, it's, it's a, 
I could be wrong. If you're a dog enthusiast and you know all about training them, don't send me emails saying I'm an idiot because this is just my opinion. And I'm not saying a world-class one either, but it's easier to train a bloodhound or a blood dog to track blood than to point birds, retrieve birds, all of those things. Um, you know, I can, with a little bit of work getting by, I can teach my dog to stay on a blood trail. Now, again, if you're a, a world-class bloodhoundsman, don't call me and say, how dare you, blah, blah. Obviously, my dog's not going to be world-class at it, but it can help me find the deer. Um, so that's kind of why I chose that route with my dog. And how do you start that? Is that you just get some bloody meat and make a line and then um, go from there? Possibly. Uh, again, I'm not a I'm not a trainer. I don't know what I'm doing really. Um, but the first time, uh, he was a young pup, and I took him out. Uh, I had shot a deer, and I knew it was only a 60-yard trail. I mean, I knew where the deer was, but I still came back and got my dog before I ever walked on the trail, like before I ever tainted it with my smell. Uh, before I ever went in there and, and I, I could see where he fell. Like I knew where he was, but I just wanted, I didn't want to touch my arrow. I didn't want to start looking for blood. I didn't want to do any of that. I went back home, got my dog, put him on the arrow and, uh, and just started saying, you know, dead deer, dead deer, find the deer. And, uh, you know, I had to pull him back on the blood trail a little bit every once in a while, but for the most part, he smelt, man, that's something like that's something different than I'm used to smelling. I'll have to give that a try, but my boxer, she would, she would be perfect for it. But would, if I could ever get her to be quiet, she loves being out in the woods and she will just constantly, uh, scout ahead, behind and everything. And she is destined to catch a chipmunk in the backyard. Every time we open the door, she goes completely head over heels for the, uh, any chipmunk, squirrel. So I think she would probably be a prime candidate for something like that. Now, I've heard a lot about what what um, I've coined the term using a blood jug. And basically what you do there is you get a milk jug and you fill it with blood. Um, and you drill two holes in it or, or a hole in the bottom or two on the side or whatever. And then you tie it to a four-wheeler and you just drive around with it. And, uh, and, and then you leave it at a place like where a deer would – you leave meat uh, at a place where the like a deer would die. And, uh, and that has created your blood trail with a reward at the end. Um, and so you, you take your dog on the blood trail and when they find the meat, they get the reward. So they get a pound of, you know, ground venison or they get a pound of, of steak or whatever it might be at the end, but you've taught them there's a reward at the end of this trail. And so, um, that's, that's what I've heard. Again, I'm no trainer. I'm no, uh, you know, I'm, I don't have medals under my belt for tra for training dogs. Um, that's just what I've gathered from friends who are relatively successful at it. You know, you you kind of changed my mind. I might give that a shot with my dog because I just I can't stand the thought of being unable to retrieve an animal. Yeah. And uh, if for no other reason, just to retrieve all that meat, it's worth it. Yeah. For an extra what, washing the dog in uh in the bathtub. Yeah. I mean, nobody enjoys doing that, but if that gives you a half a freezer full of meat, it's definitely absolutely. Worth it. I have a strong passion to train a shed dog as well. Um, I haven't really tackled it yet. Um, you know, I've got I've got a two year old and a four year old, so um, training a dog is is hard um, and it takes time and effort. Um, but in the next, you know, three to five years, I want to have a a really good shed dog. I want to train a dog to 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 really be good at finding sheds. 
because I think it would just be fun. I love shed hunting in the sense of I get to take my kids out and I get to uh, enjoy walking around the woods with my, my, my kids or friends um, or my wife and we're looking for sheds. And then you just add your, your dog to it. And, and the kids just have a whole lot more fun. You know, the dog's running around and, and they get to watch the dog and they get to, you know, pet the dog and cheer for the dog when he finds one. And it's just a whole lot of fun uh, throwing a, a pup into the mix with your family shed hunting. And so um, that's something I would really want to do too. Absolutely. And, you know, they have a recent successful reintroduction of elk over in the East Coast. I mean, Pennsylvania's got good uh, good numbers and Kentucky, but Virginia is just starting. And you're giving me new ideas on finding reasons to get down where the elk have been. Shed hunting for some uh, some elk racks would be awesome in the springtime. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a really fun and really good and really healthy practice in the spring. Uh, and it's a really good way to get your, your, your kids involved in it. Um, so I, I tell everybody to start shed hunting. Um, you know, you've got some guys who are so incredibly serious about shed hunting, you know, and they put in hundreds of miles shed hunting, um, whichever route you go, it's still a really good way to start pinning down what deer have made it, um, through the season, what deer in the area, um, but also it's a really good way to get the kids out, get them involved, get to teach them a little bit about sheds and deer and how they shed their antlers. And when they grow back, they're covered in velvet and really fun process to get your kids involved with. So, um, I always, uh, encourage everyone to at least go out and give it a shot. Oh, absolutely. Now, Chris, where can they find you, um, on social media, your website, give me all that good stuff. So Facebook and Instagram is at my season report and the website is seasonreport.com. And, uh, I, I appreciate the time talking to you today because I'm just trying to get this into more people's hands. Uh, I think I, I tried to really create something for the DIY hunter, the person who's really busy. You know, I'm trying to solve my own problem and I know others have the problem of being unable to look up all these different regulations, but I really, I think that a lot of people could use this and not just for the spots that you go to, but also, I mean, it, we've all been in that spot where you want to, you want to elk hunt and you have these two weeks off in September. And instead of going through every single state or what a buddy has suggested, or you Google it and you have to, you know, just the whole process of finding that information can take hours that you just don't have. And, uh, like I said, I, I'm, you know, this is one of those, it's kind of gimmicky, but it's, it's for hunters by hunters. I'm really just trying to, to modernize the approach to hunting regulations. This, the internet is too capable for us to continue to look at all this stuff in such a slow, tedious way. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, man. And, you know, sometimes I'm looking at state agencies and I'm thinking, why? Like put in, you know, a month of work and you've got a new website that's leaps and bounds better than what you have. Um, well, so. I've spoken to a few people here and, you know, Virginia is just like any other state. You have, you have a huge number of things that you are required to do as a state wildlife agency. And through any number of reasons, your budget is cut or is not growing like it should. And then you have people who are passionate, not getting the raises to keep up with cost of living. So, I mean, the, the wildlife agencies just have so much to do. 
And I can understand why, you know, modernizing the website just doesn't seem like the best use of funds. And, you know, that's, you were asking earlier, like future directions. That's really one thing that I want to, to work toward is working closer with these state agencies so where I can more accurately, accurately and timely provide this information passively. But then also, you know, if this turns into something large, just roll back some of these, uh, some of the money it's created back into these state agencies to help them with whatever new endeavor and kind of, I, I envision a world where I'm kind of taking the, the communication off their plate, handling it really easy for everybody, and then everybody wins. I love it. I love it, guys. Go check out Season Report, seasonreport.com, um, or on Instagram at, at my season report. Um, again, you can use code BEAR. Uh, I'm sorry, you can use code HUNTING101, and that that's going to make the entire platform just 10 bucks for the entire year. So go check those guys out. Before we leave... I do got to give a quick thank you to our friends over at the John V. Mess Memorial Scholarship. Uh, you've heard me talk about them. I'm passionate about um, supporting organizations who support kids in the outdoors. And John Mesh was a firefighter in the Kansas City area who believed in just that, getting kids involved in the outdoors. He died in the line of duty, and his brother, a good friend of mine, Jim Mesh, started a memorial in his name to host events around the country throughout the year to help get kids involved in the outdoors. Go check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. Check out the events happening. They might have one in your area. Also, just reach out and see how you can support them. See how you can support their mission uh, because I believe in their mission. So go check those guys out. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Again, if you haven't checked it out, go check out the entire launch from Bear Archery. Go check out the huge giveaway they have going on, a massive giveaway. Um, go check out that. Thanks for listening, guys. Good luck this fall. And as always, if, you, if you're successful in the field, I would absolutely love to see it. So you can shoot me over all your success photo, photos to thehunting101podcast at gmail.com. Guys, go out and have a great week. Go out and have a great season. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.